Well, good morning, everyone. Um, Pastor Rob here. It's great to join with you this morning. I don't know if you've ever had a time like this. We've just gone through one in our household where it feels like everything breaks all at once. Our kitchen light stopped working, which uh, has been complicated uh, meal prep. Uh, my electric guitar stopped working and our wood stove stopped working all within about a week of each other. Uh, so kind of problematic in our house. Uh, and then the next day we went out and our garage door stopped working. And uh, so I started looking at it and I thought, well, maybe I can fix this. So I was in my pajama pants and a t-shirt. It was during that really, really cold snap too. So I'm inside of my garage, it's cold. And I put my tool belt on and I think, well, I can probably fix this. So I go out and I've got a hammer in one hand and a screwdriver on the other and I'm kind of tapping on things and banging on things and I'm looking at brackets that are ripped and wires that are snapped. And I'm out there for about 10 or 15 minutes. I'm starting to get really cold. And I just stopped and I had one of those moments and maybe you've had them too where you just think, you know what? I can't fix this. Um, this is beyond my skill set to do anything about. I don't have the abilities uh, to remedy this problem or to deal with this situation. And in classic case of how things were going in that time anyways, it turned out our vehicle didn't start that day, so we didn't need to get the garage door open anyways. Well, the passages we're going to look at today in Mark chapter 6, we have these two stories where Jesus' disciples find themselves in a similar situation where they don't have the ability to deal with the circumstance that they're in. And I want us to take some time and unpack both of these stories because we're going to see some similarities in them as we go through. And we're continuing our teaching series through the Gospel of Mark and hope that you'll continue to read along uh, as we go today. But I want you to want to turn your attention to today, just the first part of Mark chapter 6, starting at verses 6 and 7. Let's take a look at here. And we kind of see this very first experience where Jesus' disciples find themselves in a situation where they're not able to deal with it. So Mark chapter 6, starting at the second half of verse 6. It reads like this. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve, that would be the twelve disciples, to him. He sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. Now, maybe you've driven from St. John to Fredericton on the back highway or St. John to Sussex on the back highway and you go and you go through like Hampton and then Norton and Appahawk and Lower Appahawk and Lower Upper Western Appahawk and you finally get your way to Sussex but you go through kind of all these great little villages. Now this is what's going on in Jesus' ministry. He's up in the region of Galilee. Historians think there's about 200 villages in that area and you've got all 13 of them traveling together going village by village. So you show up in a village, you find a place to stay, you get some food, you go to the synagogue, you preach, you minister to people, uh, you cast out some demons, you heal some folks, uh, then you kind of move on to the next town, a day of travel. So it's about two or three days per village. And in verse 7, Jesus does something very strategic. He sends them out two by two. Now, I'm an arts major, so um, there's 12 disciples he sends them out two by two. So just a second here. Okay, so he sends them out two by two. We get six groups now going out. And I don't know if Jesus goes with them or if he just kind of hangs back. But now you're able to minister to six different villages at a time. Now, if we've learned anything from Jesus, he's not multiplying them and sending them out because he's in a hurry. This was all part of his purpose. 
We talked about this back in, in chapter, th- when we looked at chapter three, especially verse 14, uh, this beautiful passage where Jesus kind of captures the heart of discipleship uh, in this one verse. It says, he appointed the 12 that they might be with him and that he would send them out. They would be with him. They would spend time with him learning about being a follower of Jesus, learning about his kingdom, learning about his priorities, learning about the habits that shape the human heart, and then he would send them out. And that's what Jesus has been doing. He's been traveling around with them from village to village, being with them, showing them how it's done. And now, in his mind at least, they're ready. And he sends them out two by two into these villages. Jesus deputizes his followers. Which means for you and I, as disciples of Jesus, we each of us have to come to grips with the fact that you and I should view our lives as an extension of Jesus' ministry. Now, I need to be really, really clear here. This is not optional. Every Christian, no matter how new, how mature, what you're struggling with, is sent. We have this language that we talk about here in our three C's at River Cross Church, celebrating, connecting, and contributing. And that third C, contributing, captures this aspect that each of us as Christians should view our lives, where we live, where we work, and where we play, as an extension of the ministry of Jesus. That it's no longer just two by two. There's millions of Christians around the world who ought to be living with this idea that we have been sent by Jesus into the world to represent him and to be doing his work. Now, as Jesus sends his disciples out two by two, he has kind of two things in mind that he really wants um, them to understand. And they're captured here in verses eight to 11. Let me read them for you. Mark 6, eight through 11. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag or luggage, No money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt or tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. So Jesus gives them packing instructions here, and they're interesting. Now, if you and I were heading overnight just to Moncton, Uh, You think about how much you would pack just for one night stay. You'd have a a bag probably for your luggage. Um, Among that, you'd probably have another bag with all your toiletries in it. You might take an extra pair of shoes. Maybe take your computer, a cell phone, your charters, your cords, uh, some snacks uh, for the trip. I mean, you'd have a fair bit of stuff. Jesus is calling these guys to travel light. Take nothing except a staff and sandals, but don't you dare try to pack an extra shirt. And so you can imagine these disciples getting split up and being sent out and feeling a little bit bare, a little bit exposed, a little bit uncomfortable because they don't take anything with them. And Jesus is trying to teach them something in this moment. Now, I can relate to kind of the story of of feeling this way. Um, Just before I got married, my good friends thought that they would uh, take me away for a golf weekend. So they broke into my apartment They were waiting there for me. They had a video camera set up on the shelf. I came into the apartment. They tackled me. Uh, They duct taped me. They dragged me down the stairs. They dragged me across the parking lot and they threw me in the back of their car and they took me away for an all-expensed golf weekend in northern Nova Scotia in Cape Breton, which was wonderful. On the way back, 
we stop in Truro, Nova Scotia. We're in there. I'm going in to use the bathroom and I come on out and the cashier at the till says to me, she says, is your name Rob? And I said, well, yeah. She said, here's a note for you. So I take the note, I open it up and it says, Rob, your all expense weekend ends here. Good luck getting home. Well, I lived about two hours from there. So, uh, and I was now left standing alone. I had no wallet. I had no luggage because they'd taken everything. And I had no food for me. And I had 200 kilometers to try to figure out how I was going to get home. And suddenly in that moment, I became incredibly dependent on just about everybody around me to get back home uh, to Chester. Now, what's going on in this passage is Jesus is capturing the same for his disciples. I want you to be dependent on me for everything as you go out to represent me in the world. This is not something you're going to do on your strength. This is not something you're going to do in your power. I want you to feel the the pressure of being dependent on me for absolutely everything. For food, for accommodation, for provision. And as you learn this, this is the essence of what it means to be one of my disciples And especially to be one of my disciples who lives as though they have been sent into the world. That this posture of dependence on Christ for everything is so essential. And Jesus puts them in this situation hoping that they will learn it right from the get-go. The second thing that Jesus wants these disciples to know is it's not going to be easy. There's going to be challenges We already see this. If you've been reading along through Mark's gospel, the first part of chapter six, Jesus returns to his hometown and it says that he was unable to perform some miracles there because of the lack of faith. He faced obstacles. After this passage that we're reading here, John the Baptist is murdered because of his faith. And Jesus is preparing these disciples that if you're going to do ministry in my name, in this broken, sinful world, It's not going to be easy and you're going to need to rely on me the entire way. Now, remembering that we are sent and that's kind of an essential part of our faith is so important. So I want to ask you today maybe a couple of questions. Um, You know, is this how you view yourself? Maybe you grew up in what I would call a classic Canadian, with a classic kind of Canadian view of faith, which is this. Faith is private. I keep it to myself. Your faith is none of my business. My faith is none of your business. We're both going to live our lives. Well, this is not Christianity. Or maybe you embraced a version of faith that encouraged you kind of, I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm going to guarantee that someday I go to heaven and then someday I'll go to heaven and all this in between time is just mine to live and do what I want. Well, that's not Christianity either. Or maybe you grew up in a version of faith or were embraced a version of faith that said, you know, Jesus is kind of 911. I kind of do what I want almost all the time, but in those extreme circumstances where I'm in over my head or I can't figure it out or things get serious, I call on him and I expect him to be there and to answer me. And that's kind of your version of faith. Well, that's not Christianity either. And as we're making our way through the gospel of Mark, hopefully you'll start to see what Jesus is inviting us into. And a part of that is that you and I need to live our lives as though we have been sent, that we are his ambassadors and his representatives in this world. So that was the first encounter, Jesus' disciples. He breaks them up into two. He sends them out with absolutely nothing, and they have to rely and to depend on him. 
Now, I want us to jump ahead. We're going to jump ahead and skip the section where John the Baptist is beheaded. And if you want extra points, if you want to do a little bit of extra study, here's what I would encourage you to do. Notice how Mark has placed the feast at Herod's where John the Baptist is beheaded right up against the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Two feasts side by side. If you want a little bit of extra homework, study those two feasts and see how they're different because Mark is showing to us the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Pharaoh or the kingdom of nationalism or the kingdom of power as it's seen in Rome at the time. But let's jump ahead because Jesus breaks his disciples up. He sends them out two by two. And then we get this verse um, where it kind of, we capture um, what happens. So let's look at, I want to read verse 12 and then we're going to jump to verse 30 and 31. So let's look at chapter six, verse 12. The disciples go out and they preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Jump to verse 30. The disciples gathered around Jesus, so they come back. They gather around Jesus, and they report to him all that they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, they said to him, come with me by yourself to a quiet place, and we'll get some rest. Now, this is classic rabbi teaching strategy. I teach you, I send you out, you come back, we talk about it, debrief, and learn some more. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing with these disciples. But it worked. Jesus broke them up. He sends them out. He gives them authority. They go out. They learn to be dependent on him. And they have ministry success. It works. People are healed. People hear the good news. They're invited into the kingdom of God and they choose that and they repent from the kingdom they were going towards before. Uh, They have power over darkness. And they have this incredible moment. They're like kids coming back from an excited field trip telling their parents all about it. Jesus, it worked. You weren't even there. We did it. And this is kind of amazing moment. Well, and it's setting us up for what's now the second account where Jesus sends his disciples out, found in verses 35 to 44. And I want to read it for you today. And it's the story of the feeding of the 5,000. If you have grew up in church, you know this story. You had the flannel graph. You had the comic book version. You saw the Veggie Tales version. But I want you just to kind of be humble and say, God, show me something new as we go through this passage. And in particular, I want you to notice that when Mark breaks up or tells this story, he uses over half of his time to talk about the kind of conversation back and forth between Jesus and his disciples in terms of how the, the 5,000 are going to be fed. I mean, this is one of the great miracles of the scriptures. It's the only one that is found in all four gospels. But in Mark's telling, he spends so much time kind of giving us the backroom conversation that happened in this story. So let's look at it together, starting at verse 35. So the crowds have come. They start, Jesus has been teaching them. By this time it was late in the day, and so the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. And it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take eight months of man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. 
Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in the groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups in hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Listen to this. They all ate and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. And for Mark, who's writing to a Roman audience, that figure is important to them because when you say 5,000, you would immediately have thought of a Roman legion the size of the, and power of, of, the, of the Roman army. Now, I love the little conversation that Jesus, or that Mark captures between Jesus and his disciples. It's kind of like we get to listen to their staff meeting. Uh, the disciples are seeing a problem is brewing. It's late in the day. There's a lot of people. We're in the middle of nowhere, and we're going to have a hangry mob on our hands if we don't get these people out of here so they can get something to eat. Now, as someone who likes to eat, I appreciate their thoughtfulness. But Jesus says to them, no, you feed them. And you can kind of picture the disciples in your mind, some of them who were businessmen, kind of rolling their eyes and thinking, you know, you rabbis, you're good at Bibles and prayer and stuff like that, but you have no clue about money. This is going to cost a year's salary to feed all of these people. And Jesus, ever the rabbi, ever teaching, says to them, well, what do you have with you? What a great question that was. What do you have with you? And again, it's not like the disciples are going to go out and discover there's large trucks full of bread there. So they go out, they do kind of a, an, an assessment of what they have, and they come back with this piddly little amount of five loaves and two fish. Now, if you're one of those disciples, and you've just kind of had a little meeting with the 12 of you, and you figure out what you got, how are you feeling when you go back to report to Jesus? Are you excited? Hey, we solved the problem? Probably not. Are you embarrassed? Like, who's going to tell Jesus this is all that we have? Like, what are we going to do here? Are you frustrated? Why is Jesus doing this to us again? He's putting us in a situation where we don't have what we need in order to do the thing that he's asked us to do. Now, you know how the story ends. He gives thanks. He breaks the bread. Jesus sends the disciples out to distribute the food. Mark says everybody ate. They were satisfied. Their stomachs were full. And like this first story, Mark pays attention to what happens after the miracle. Because again, we're learning as disciples here. And the disciples go out and they start to collect the leftovers. And as they're out there and people are thanking them and maybe shaking their hands, patting them on the back, thanks for food, thanks for supper, the disciples are gathering them all together and they come back and they're standing there getting ready to report to Jesus and they're each holding a basket. They start out with this piddly amount and they return at the end, each with enough. And they have this moment we can hard to imagine what's going on in their hearts and their minds. This is now the second time Jesus has called them to do something. They've been clearly unable to do it. They've been without the resources. God, in, they go anyways, God intervenes, and they come back at the end, in the first case, joyful, excited, and in this case, blessed with leftovers. And as much as Jesus wants to feed these people, 
He also wants his disciples and for you and I to know that when he calls us, he will provide. When he calls us and sends us out, no matter the circumstances, he will provide. It doesn't mean that it will be easy, but he will provide. And to remember, it's not about what we bring to the table when we have Jesus at the table. This is such an important learning for these disciples, for me, for you, that as God calls us and sends us out to remember that we go with what we have, but God is the one who multiplies. This lesson is critical for the disciples, and I think it's critical for us. And I think it's critical for us right now, given this time that we're in. Because you and I, kind of like the disciples in this passage, we're surrounded by people with needs. And that means we're surrounded by people that Jesus has compassion for. I don't know about you, but as I talk to people, I just hear people are struggling. These are difficult times. And when I hear people talk, I hope that you will hear not just frustration and annoyances, but you will hear lostness. There's a sense that people are feeling lost right now. They're in need of hope. And I think as Jesus is calling you and I in this season to rediscover what it means to be sent, to rediscover what it means to embrace our calling, to be a blessing, to be light, to be hope to people right now. I mean, we've got these two stories. On one hand, you've got Jesus sending them out two by two, empty-handed, relying completely on him. God provides, they return excited and with joy. The second story, Jesus calls them to feed these thousands of people. They've got nothing but crumbs in their hands. And then God intervenes and they end up with basket filled with leftovers. And God is calling us to go to people who are looking for hope and looking for answers, looking for light right now. And you and I might feel, and we should, Like all we've got in our hands is crumbs. But when we go, God is faithful. He will provide. And he will do what only he can do. Now I know what you're thinking. Oh wow, in the middle of this pandemic, it's been almost a year and you're laying this thing on us. Remember who Mark is writing to. Mark is writing to Roman Christians who are being persecuted And he's reminding them in that season that God still calls you, he can still use you, that he has something that he wants to do. And I believe that's true today. And so I'm going to close us in prayer this morning. And as I do, I just want you to think about your posture right now as someone who is sent someone whom Jesus has rescued and brought his grace to to bear to your life and the opportunity that you and I now have to stand before our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors and uh, the people in our community and stand before them and offer the Lord whatever we have in our hands and saying, God, would you intervene and multiply what I bring to the table and do what only, only you can do? So would you just stop for a moment and, you know, maybe if you're comfortable, you could just open your hands in front of you and, uh, and let's pray. Lord, today we remember that you have sent each and every one of us 
no matter how long we've been following you, no matter the state of our faith, all who are disciples are sent. And Lord, today we think of the people that you've called us to. And maybe even in this time of prayer, you would bring their names or their faces to our mind. And we would remember that you love them, that you have grace and mercy and compassion for them. And Lord, we humbly come and open our hands with whatever we have and we offer it to you. And Lord, we say we will go. We will follow you wherever it is that you call us to go. But Lord, we're going to be dependent on you the whole time and you are going to have to do what only you can do. And Lord, we imagine moments where you're going to bring healing and you're going to bring forgiveness and you're going to bring a word of hope to someone, Lord, and you're going to give someone a word of direction that will change their life. And Lord, we're trusting you to do what only you can do in these circumstances. So Lord, today we, in the middle of this global pandemic, surrounded by a city of people, Lord, who are looking for answers and looking for hope, we surrender ourselves to you again. And we pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.